Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today in the pod, Hussein Fazal, the CEO and founder of Snap Travel, which is a platform that lets you book hotel rooms through messaging. Hussein is a great story, full of twists and turns. Before we get into the journey, here's what I'm thinking about now. My partner Jason was at TechCrunch Disrupt this last week. We ended up getting a really cheap ticket and like a table to present pay club at two days before the conference started. I guess they had some unsold inventory. They also gave us a free hotel room, which Jason was just stoked about. Anyway, the conference had some good speakers, but overall it was pretty blah. Almost none of the people we know in the industry went, and we saw very few investors there. TC Disrupt, it's always been like the big conference, the one that they parody in Silicon Valley. But what's happening with conferences now is the same thing that's happening with everything else in the world. They're becoming specialized. Now, instead of going to a big generic tech conference, we go to a a couple fintech-only conferences. And now even those are having to specialize even further to differentiate themselves because you can't just do the same thing every year. Sure, there's going to continue to be mass market offerings, Netflix, Amazon, Google. But outside of those, what is there? It's all specialized offerings that do just an incredible job of servicing a niche audience. Generalization was the old way of doing business. Make a thousand television channels bundled up for everyone or providing every product and service under the sun for banks. Now it's about doing one thing really, really well, which is what Hussein is doing at Snap Travel. So let's get into the interview. Hussein from Toronto, your company Snap Travel. Thanks for coming on the pod. Thank you for having me. Yep. You've got a, uh, a really interesting company. Uh, I mean, I saw Steph Curry was wearing a hat that said your guys' company's name in the finals after the game. Um, we'll get into that later in the pod, but, but let's, uh, let's start at the beginning of your career. You know, how'd you uh, start to become the person you are today? Where, when did that happen? Sure. Um, so I, I went to the University of Waterloo, studied computer science, um, graduated in 2005, and went straight into a big company. So I worked for Bell Canada, which is one of the largest telecommunications companies um, in Canada, of course. Um, and I was working there as a software developer. So I was there for about kind of got to a point in my life where I was not really happy working at a big company. I was not feeling like I was accomplishing anything. It just felt a little bit stuck. I was in a bit of a routine. Um, and I really wanted to, to do something else. So, so what I started to do is started to just do some coding side projects. So in 2008, um, I started to build 
Facebook games. So this is, you know, before a lot of people's times, but Facebook wasn't on mobile. It was only on desktop. And people would build Facebook games like Farmville was the most famous one. Right. Um, so I started to build Facebook games on the side. Um, there was an intern who was also at Bell Canada, and he also started to build Facebook games on the side. Um, and then we started chatting and we said, hey, how are you making money off of your Facebook games? Why don't we build an ad network specifically for Facebook games? So that's how it started, quitting my job at Bell. Um, my co-founder, Chris Tops, never went back to Bell. Uh, sorry, never went back to school. And, and we started that company, Ad Parlor. And in over three years, we grew it to be one of the largest Facebook ad optimization companies in the world, managed over $100 million of ad spend. Um, and ended up selling that company three years later. Wow. And it all started just with a simple side project of building games that lived on Facebook. Yeah. I mean, it was just it was just kind of doing something as a side gig, and it was some entrepreneurial curiosity um, and, and just kind of having fun with it. And, I mean, you quickly realize once you start a side gig, especially if it starts to get some traction, you'll very quickly realize how much more fun that is than your big company job. Um, and it's just natural that I start spending evenings and weekends working on it. And also just do this full time, right? Um, I was, of course, in a fortunate position. Not everyone's in such a fortunate position, but I was in a fortunate position that, you know, I was um, single. I was living at home with my parents. I didn't have any major financial dependencies. Um, it's not like I had a mortgage or kids or anything like that. So I was able to take that kind of risk. I was able to say, you know, let me quit my job at Bell. Let me do this full time. In the worst case scenario, if this doesn't work out, I can always try and get another full time, another full time job. Right. I love it. And, you know, I, Hussein, we talk a lot on this podcast about just like kind of the merits of, of side projects. Like there's the, the upside is really limitless and the downside is pretty minimal. I mean, it's like you start testing something out, you build a game, you're like just something passionate. If it works or starts to show some signs of, of working, then great. You can put a little more effort into it, a little more resources. But, but if not, then really like, you know, there's nothing lost. You can just tell society, all your friends are like, oh yeah, you know, I didn't really spend much time on that. It just, it just wasn't for me. It didn't work out. But if it does work, it's like, wow, this is, this, there could be something here. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, I, I always tell people that like, I mean, if you're in a full-time job, um, you're in a nine to five, that's great. Um, but you should really only be in that job if you're actually learning and developing. Um, and you should always think about what you can do to learn and grow in advance outside of that job as well. So after hours and weekends, um, I mean, of course, you could spend your time just hanging out, watching TV, doing what you need to do. But really, in order to make progress, um, you should spend some of those evening and weekend hours on whatever it is you're passionate about or side gigs. Um, and, and, you know, that it, it's, can unlock a great opportunity. Yep. I mean, this podcast was and still is a, a side thing. And <laughs> the way that I think about it is just like, just whenever I think about it, it brings... I think about it being delightful versus, you know, my main thing, it's still another startup, but it's like that one I set, I put these huge expectations on. I think a lot of it has to do with expectation setting, right? Like a side project, you say, this is, this will be a side project. And like the expectations are pretty minimal versus your real thing. You put these like super lofty goals and like, it's tough to reach them and it's stressful. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting hearing you talk about this. Um, 
Okay. So you leave Bell, you start this company, yep. it's going really well. And then, and then, and then you sell it. Like, what was that like? Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there was a lot that happened between obviously starting the company and selling it. Um, one thing I would like to point out is a, about a year into, about six months to a year into it, um, I actually moved to Silicon Valley, to Palo Alto specifically, um, and worked at a Sunnyvale for almost a year. Um, and again, this was one of those sort of leap of faith moments. So the company was really just myself and my co-founder at that time. Uh, we were just kind of you know messing around, not really knowing what we were doing. Um, and there was this program through the Canadian government where they were basically like, hey, you got to pay for your own flight and accommodation, but we're going to set you up and work out of this incubator called the Plug and Play Center in Sunnyvale. Um, and you're going to be able to live in work in San Francisco, in Silicon Valley uh, for six months. And I was like, again, like, what's the harm in doing that, right? So, so I did that. Um, I spent some time out there and it was amazing. Like you, you surround yourself with like-minded people. You surround yourself with tech entrepreneurs. Um, funny story. I ended up living with someone who worked at Facebook and we were building a Facebook ad network. Um, so obviously there was a lot of opportunity in networking there. Um, and then something really interesting happened. So we were, you know, serving ads within, um, within Facebook apps. And then around that time, Facebook launched something called the Ads API. The Ads API essentially meant that you could now buy ads directly on Facebook, on desktop or on mobile, because um, that's a mobile app. But you could essentially programmatically buy ads on Facebook. And because we had done all this stuff with this Facebook display network, because um, uh, I lived with a Facebook sales guy and I was networking and I was in that environment. We were actually one of the first few companies to get access to the Facebook ads API. And that really helped us grow, grow the company. Um, so, so that was fantastic. We were one of the first few companies to get access to the Facebook ads API. We went from doing nothing to doing millions of dollars a month in revenue um, and then came back to Toronto. And that's when we started to hire people and grow the company. So, so that was great. That was a great um, that was a great experience building and growing the company. Um, and then there came a certain point in time where it essentially felt like the right time to sell the company. And we were getting a lot of inbound inquiries, but more importantly, the business was actually getting harder and harder because of the Facebook ads API, there was more competition, margins were getting squeezed, sales cycles... Um, we're getting longer, so so we decided that hey, this is this is a good time to to think about exit opportunities, um, and we ended up selling the company to Ad Knowledge. Wow, and so you know, I, I like how you're talking about the journey of just kind of not putting uncertainty ahead of opportunity. It's like, well, let's move to Silicon Valley. What what could I lose? And then you have this, you build this deep network there of people, similar thinkers to help you out. Do you think if you, if you didn't move to Silicon Valley, the company would have had a, a similar trajectory? No, I, I, I really don't think so. And I, I'm a, I'm, and I tell everybody this, if you, if you are a tech entrepreneur and you have the opportunity to go live in the Valley, um, whether it be San Francisco or Palo Alto or wherever it is, like just go. Right. And there's no, there's no, there's no beating it. Like, yeah, fine. Come back come back to Toronto, build your business or, or build your business anywhere. But 
you extended amount of time in Silicon Valley. Um, it's one thing to fly in and out and do meetings, but it's something else to live there and network there and make friends there um, because there's no place like that if you're a tech entrepreneur. Right. Okay. Uh, I mean, I totally buy that. I'm, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that now. These are things that like you start a business and you don't, you don't know. And then like you go through it for a little while and it's like, Oh man, like it would be super helpful if I did this or if I did that. And like, yeah, living in Silicon Valley for six months sounds pretty pretty great. Just go. And and I'll just say that one more time because I have so many people who come to me and they ask me like, Oh, so I have this opportunity to go. Should I go? Should I not go? I was like, don't even give me your logic. Don't even give me your reasons. Don't even give me your pros and cons. Just go. Right. Um, so go get out there, spend some time out there. It's definitely going to be worth it. Yep. Okay. So you go, you make all these connections, you come back to Toronto, you continue building the company, you sell the company. Is that like, a, I mean, is it like a life changing event? Are you like set for life after selling this? Yeah. I mean, unless, unless I go and do something really stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, it was it was it was great. I mean, we actually took no outside investment for Ad Parlor. Um, it was it was a significant exit. Um, so yeah, that's that that was it. And I was like, okay, great. Like I'm now, you know, set. I'm like, you know, 35 years old. I'm I can kind of do whatever I want now. Um, actually, I think it was a bit younger than that. But and I was like, okay, well, now what do I do? So first of all, when we sold the company to Ad Knowledge, um, there was some cash up front, and there was also um, a component of it that was an earnout, and that's very common in a typical acquisition where some of the payout comes like right away, and then some of the payout comes over time um, as you continue to grow the business. So I stayed with Ad Knowledge for about three years um, and continued to grow the business. I was from you know 2008 to about 2011. Um, obviously, compensated for that as, as, as part of the acquisition, um, and then 2011 comes along and I'm like, okay, now I'm free, right? My three years with ad knowledge are done. Uh, I can now kind of do whatever I want. So first things first, um, spend some time and just kind of decompress. So spend some time, travel the world, um, spend some time with my wife, went to, you know, went to Southeast Asia, went to East Africa, did some volunteer work, um, and just really, really decompressing. Um, And then really thinking about what do I want to do? Right? Do I want to be a philanthropist? Do I want to you know, just do volunteer work? Do I want to be an investor and invest in other startups? And I, I thought about it and I really had the time, desire, energy to start another company. I mean, I can always be an investor or philanthropist or you know, retire when I'm in my 40s, but I was like, hey, I'm still young. Um, I want to start another company. So that's that's kind of... Uh, the thought process I went through, and then, and then it was about okay, what do I, what do I want to do? What kind of company do I want to start? Um, and then for my last company, Christophs, he kind of semi-retired, and he was off doing all types of other businesses. Um, so I had to go through the process of finding a new co-founder, um, and I met Henry, who was uh, a Google engineer. He was also born in Toronto, also went to Waterloo, um, also ran a startup before. And he was actually working in San Francisco at Google as an engineer. Um, and we met through some mutual friends, and, and we liked each other. And we basically decided that we wanted to start another company together. Um, so the story is then Henry quit his job at Google. Um, I again moved out to San Francisco, and we spent about six to eight months ideating 
on what business do we want to build together um, in iterating on different businesses and different ideas to try and figure out what we wanted to do. Yeah. So much different than the first time where you just kind of like started building a little side project. It was very, very natural. The second time it's like, all right, very purposeful. What business are we going to do? And and that seems much, much harder, right? Like usually business ideas come to you when you're doing a side project, you know, in the shower, like not thinking about the business. It's kind of how everything in, in life I've found uh, kind of works. So was that a hard process? Like just saying, okay, it's my job right now to think of a new business? Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's challenging, right? Um, like, but what we did is we tried to put some kind of structure and process around it. So um, there's actually a book which we used, and it's called Running Lean by Ash Moria. Um, you can just Google it, Running Lean, Ash Moria. You'll get a PDF. You can read it. Um, and essentially what it does is it gives you a framework for how to come up with and test business ideas. So all very, very high level, um, there's two types of businesses. There's B2C businesses and B2B businesses. The high level on a B2B business is talking to customers. So you, you know, talk to a whole bunch of accountants and you ask them what their primary problems and difficulties are. And then you come up with, if we gave you this solution, would you pay for it? How much would you pay for it? Right? So that's kind of testing out B2B business ideas. On the B2C business idea, it's basically come up with ideas, create a landing page, um, buy some Facebook, Google ads, drive customers to go to those landing pages and see if they click, see if it resonates with them, right? Um, so that's basically what we did. And we were kind of iterating on B2B and B2C business ideas. We were just picking big industries. We were kind of all over the place in terms of what we were doing. Um, and then somewhere along that process, we sat down with Scott Booker, who was the ex-CEO of Hotels.com. Um, and he gave us a bunch of travel ideas. So we're like, okay, let's try some travel stuff. And we built a bunch of travel websites. And then also around this time, Facebook launched something called the Messenger API, which allowed you to programmatically send and receive messages over Facebook Messenger. And there was this huge craze around chatbots you know, instead of having to like download an app and do something, you can just open Messenger and just start chatting um, and you can automatically kind of send and receive messages. So we kind of combined these two things together. We put together a travel website where instead of, you know, putting in your city and your dates and clicking search, you click on Messenger or you put in your phone number and you click on SMS and it kind of acts like a travel agent and we just message you and we're like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? Can I help you book a hotel? So essentially building um, a travel agent over messaging to help people book hotels. So that's, that's kind of how it started. And what we saw is that people wanted to do it. People wanted to book hotels over messaging. And, and to start, it was super manual. It was literally myself and Henry manually answering people we would like go on websites and find pictures. We would go on, find, you know, hotel deals. I mean, manually type in their information and their credit card. And people liked it. They were like, they wanted this travel agent service over messaging. So that's, that's how that business started. We proved that people wanted to get this done. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's certain consistencies between, between these two businesses. Like, right. They're, they're both consumer. They're both using Facebook. So it's not like you're like, starting, you know, a, uh, an airplane business and then a dog food business. Like there's a lot of overlap here, right? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the first business ad parlor was a B2B business. It was ad optimization for big companies. But yeah, it, it, it is similar. Like I, I have built a career off of, you know, Facebook and, and using Facebook APIs in, in the Facebook network. Um, and there, yeah, there was some consistency. Also, the other thing I will say, I mean, this is a little bit more of a stretch, but in the last business ad parlor, the primary purpose was to optimize ad spend, right? For these big companies like Starbucks and Netflix and Groupon. Um, and now that we're running a B2C business, which is Snap Travel, again, the primary you know, way to succeed is to opt. Can I spend you know, $1 to get a user to come in and make a booking? And can I make more than a dollar back when that user completes their booking, right? So it is very much like using a lot of the skills I had from the last business um, and using it on this business. And, and a big component is also the relationship with Facebook. I had a really strong relationship with Facebook when we built out the ads API. And now I had a really strong relationship with Facebook when we were building on Messenger and now on WhatsApp. Um, so yeah, there is there is some common common themes and common elements. Sure. And for this business, you you did raise money from from outside capital. So I mean, obviously, it's it's a lot easier doing that after you've had a successful startup. So, tell us what what that was like. I mean, did you have more demand than than you, than supply for this? Yeah, we 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 were really fortunate. So, a um, obviously, I built a company before I sold it. It was successful. Um, B, I have a co-founder Henry, who was an ex-Google genius. Um, so that obviously helps. And that's kind of a perfect combo. Like if I'm an investor and I see two co-founders and one of them is a guy who's built and sold a company before, and the other one is an ex Google engineer, but that's like, that's a good combo, right? <laughs> so, so it's kind of like, it's like at that point, it's like, okay, well you have the right team. I actually don't really care too much about what you're actually working on. Like, you know, are you in a big space? You're in travel. Okay, that's a big space, right? Do you have a proven team? Yes, you do. To to me, if I was a an angel investor or a seed investor, that's something I would bet on all day, right? So, so yeah, it was relatively easy. Um, we raised first of all, we raised uh, a small seed round. So it was a one point two million dollar seed round um, from Light Bank, based out of Chicago, the ex Groupon guys, as well as B Partners out of San Francisco. Um, and we took that 1.2 million and we said, okay, now let's try and scale this up a bit. Ian Henry automatically responding to every message that comes in. Let's see if we can automate some of this. Let's see if we can build some NLP technology to understand what the customer is saying and automatically respond. Let's go and build out our checkout flow. Let's go and see if we can get hotel supply and if we can get hotel deals. Um, and that's, that's sort of how it started. Um, we did that. We grew the company. Um, and then we were able to raise a bigger round and the, the bigger round, the 8 million from series, uh, sorry, the 8 million series A from Inovia at that point, it wasn't just about the team. It was about the traction. So we proved that people wanted to do this. We got some initial traction, raised 8 million from Inovia. And then again, more recently, we raised uh, another round from, from Telstra Ventures. So, so in total, we've raised over 20 million to date. And uh, the business has continued to scale. So in our first year, we we did about three million in hotel sales. Um, in our second year, we did about thirty million in hotel sales. And now in our third year, we'll do well over a hundred million in hotel sales. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So 
I'm just thinking here, like your story, it's, I mean, it's incredible. It's a great story, but there's not a lot of, like, I'm not hearing like a lot of failures here. It's like, you've gone from success to success. Like, is that how you view it? And and if so, like, what do you attribute that to? Uh, so it's not, it's, <laughs> there are failures. Definitely. Um, it's not really success to success. Um, I'm giving you kind of the, uh, the, the nice version of, of what actually happened. So, so being an entrepreneur, and I'm sure uh, many people who have come in this podcast have said it. Um, when you look from the outside in, that's what it looks like, right? You read TechCrunch, you see people raising all this money, you see exits, you see all this great success. Um, but what you don't see is all the hard work and all the failures in between, right? Um, in my first business, Ad Parlor, we actually pretty much got shut down slash had to pivot three times. Like we were initially running this display network on desktop and eventually Facebook was like, no, you can't do this anymore. And then we pivoted and we tried this thing called an offer wall. And then Facebook was like, you can't do this anymore. And then we pivoted and we got access to the Facebook ads API. And we started to finally build what a business that Facebook really, we were aligned with Facebook and they liked it and advertisers liked it and it worked. Um, and then that's what really took off. So you didn't kind of see the uh, the failures and the pivots in between. Um, same thing with Snap Travel. It's not. It's that when I when we went to go raise money, that even that seed round, even being a repeat tech entrepreneur and having you know the team that we had and the traction that we had, it was still not easy. We spoke with probably you know forty to fifty investors before one or two of them said yes. Um, so yeah, it's not it's not it's not all kind of uh, fun and fun and easy. There's a lot of struggles and pivots and, and downturns along the way, but unfortunately, um, um, things have worked out overall. At a, a, if you take a step back, things have worked out for me, and I think it's it's a combination of a couple of things. I would say one, it's it's working hard. Like I I I do work extremely hard, whether that be in terms of hours, whether that be in terms of you know just thinking and where I spend my time and my energy and what I focus on in life. Um, and then number two, there is a bit of luck, right? Like being in the right place at the right time. Like when I moved to Silicon Valley, my roommate was a Facebook sales guy. That was, that was awesome. Right. Um, when, you know, we were starting this business, we happened to get a lunch meeting with the ex CEO of hotels.com. Um, you know, it's, it's, it is a, it's a combination of hard work and, a bit of luck and, and luck usually comes from, you know, being in the right place at the right time, but you have to be able to take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, there we go. That's the, that's the meat of this uh, analysis that, that I like here. I mean, our society super glamorizes, just like you said, you go on a tech crunch, two guys in a garage, raised $5 million, changing the world. What you don't really see is like the struggle and hardships and failures and pivots and stuff behind that, because, you know, it's, it's not easy putting a dent into the world. Yeah, sure, certainly. Sometimes people just like get some like bottle rocket success and super lucky. But, but really, you know, changing the way behavior, changing the world is. I mean, that's that's not easy. No, it's so, not. It's it's not easy. It's uh, and and even now, right? Like even now, it's like okay, this is cool. You've raised twenty million dollars. Business is growing, but there's ups and downs, right? There's days where you know shit's not working. Or there's you know an issue with the team or the product or the growth levers or you know whatever it is, and it's it's not easy. It's a constant struggle. It's a constant you know up and down and highs and lows. Right, like one day you feel like 
this is the absolute greatest company in the world and this is going to go to you know be a worth a billion dollar ipoable company and then there's other days where you're like shit like what are we actually doing here i don't know if this is actually going to work out and all kind of work out for everybody um but i mean that's that's the challenge of being an entrepreneur and that that's part of the fun right like you're going to go through ups and downs and and that's that's part of being an entrepreneur yeah absolutely i uh i totally relate so hussein last question here you know uh advice like obviously you've you've had a pretty incredible journey here to this point what do you tell someone that's you know a little, little behind you a little earlier in their journey maybe they're working at that big company that that bell uh canada um and they're not sure like am i doing the right thing am i am i learning what should i be doing like do you have any uh guidance for someone like that yeah i mean i I would say that um, obviously everybody's situation is different but if you have an opportunity to take some risk uh you should do it right like if you can start a side gig and spend some evenings and weekends you should do that if you can even you know get a bit of traction quit your job, live in your parents' basement and grind away. You should do that. Like you should always think of kind of the worst case scenario. And obviously, again, there are exceptions. There's people who are, you know, maybe taking care of their sick parents or the kid or they have a mortgage or whatever it is. But to be honest, most of the young people I chat with, when I sit down with them and I say, okay, what's the worst case scenario? It's actually not that bad, right? If you've gone to university and you have, you know, a solid education and you have some solid ex- work experience, I um, mean, you leave your job um, for six months to a year to try out an entrepreneurial gig and it doesn't work out, chances are you can get another job. And chances are you may even be more employable because you spent six months to a year trying to run your own entrepreneurial gig and you learn so many things along the way. So I would say definitely um, take the plunge, think about the worst case scenario. And it's probably not that bad. Yep. I mean, that's human nature. That's how our brains work to survive. You, we, uh, we put an overemphasis on, on the bad. We think if it fails, our family's going to throw us out. We'll be homeless. We'll be out on the street. Then we'll starve to death. And like, <laughs> that's, not, that's not really how, how it goes. I mean, I, I had people, like when I started that first company, people were like, what? Like, what are you doing? What? You quit your big job at Bell Canada and you're doing what? Playing around with Facebook games? Like, what are you doing? Right. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it didn't really matter, uh, what other people thought. I, I, I enjoyed doing it and it was just, it was way more fun than working at a big company. So, um, I did want to mention one more thing, Alex. I don't know. If, I don't know if there's a bit of time here. You mentioned at the start about, about Steph Curry investing in the company. So I have a ton of people who ask me, how did that happen? So I'll, I'll just spend, um, if that's okay with you, I'll spend a couple of minutes talking about that. Yeah. yeah. Do it. Love yeah. It. So, um, so this is kind of companies doing well. Snap Travel's growing uh, up and to the right. Sales are growing. Um, and we went to go raise another small round of funding. Um, and we ended up connecting with Telstra Ventures. So most people don't know Telstra, but they're the largest telecommunications company in Australia. They have a, a $500 million fund based out of San Francisco. Um, and Telstra wanted to invest. And, and one of the things they said is, hey, we can also introduce you to some interesting strategic investors. One of those people being Steph Curry because Telstra and Steph's fund SC30 had done an investment before in Team Solo Mid, which is an esports company. And we're like, okay, sure, that's cool. Like, not actually sure if that was 
real or if it was actually going to happen. Um, but they introduced me to uh, Bryant Barr, who's uh, Steph's manager and manages SC30. Um, we got together in San Francisco. We hung out, you know, kind of showed him the business, showed him the story. And um, after that, there was obviously a few weeks of due diligence and, you know, going through presentations and spreadsheets and calls and questions. Um, but yeah, Bryant was sold on the business. Um, and then he's like, I just got to talk to Steph about it. He's talked to Steph about it. Steph was like, yeah, this is cool. Um, and he ended up coming in as an investor, which is, which is phenomenal. Right. And again, that was, you know, being out there, being in San Francisco, networking, just meeting people, talking to people and, and through the network ended up getting introduced. So Telstra and Steph ended up investing together at the same time. And the good thing is that, um, Steph's been pretty cool and open about promoting us. Like he spent, you know, a couple of hours here in our office. He did a Q and A in front of the company. He posted on Insta. He posted on Facebook and Twitter. Um, he, as you mentioned, recently during Game Four of the NBA Finals, he wore a snap travel hat walking into the stadium during the post game media conference. Um, and we're looking to do more and more with him. And it and it it helps with our brand, right? So um, a lot of consumers who come to snap travel they're about to book let's say a thousand dollar two thousand dollar vacation um they know the big brands like expedia and booking and priceline but they probably never heard of snap travel before but when they come and they see someone like steph curry has invested in snap travel that gives them the cool this is like a real company right um the average consumer has not heard of any of our investors they've never heard of light bank or b partners or inovia uh, but they have heard of steph curry and they're like oh well if steph's invested that must be a pretty legit company um so it does help um it does help to create some legitimacy for the company it does help to create like a brand for the company um and it's been great it's just been overall a great experience steph's been great brian's been great um, and we're very fortunate to have him as an investor. Yeah, I'll I'll say. I mean, that's a that's an awesome story, and it's just a testament to the network you've built and kind of the magic that can happen once uh, once that gets going. I mean, I can't tell you how many times you know for for my startup, how many times someone said, "Oh, I'm going to introduce you to Max Levchin or someone from PayPal," and it's like. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, but it's awesome <laughs> that it that that it happened for you. That's so that's yeah, so cool. A, he, he, Max, Max is a hard guy to meet. I haven't met yeah. him yet. <laughs> well, I've had like I think five five people say, "Oh, I know him. We have dinner. I'll introduce you." And then like, but I've got a pretty promising one out there right now. So we'll we'll see. I'll keep I'll keep you updated on on if it happens. Okay. All right. Well, Hussein, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. This was this was so much fun speaking with you. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends, helping us grow, and also leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks.